Welcome to Focal Length. This is a podcast about photography, life, and everything in between. Welcome back to Vocal Length. You may be wondering why I'm calling today's episode Inside the Sausage Factory Part 1. And it's really going to get into some of the philosophy, some of the approach, and some of the minutiae that really gets people wrapped around the axle. When it comes to editing, post-processing, the crafting of an image that may or may not happen inside a camera. And ultimately, we're talking a bit about how people look at life as well. Um, What's important? What's not? What's reality? What's not? And so the Sausage Factory itself, there are a variety of quotes that relate to sausages and their contents. But really, the first one that we're going to kind of pull from a different venue, laws are like sausages. Better not to see them being made. Now, there are plenty of variations you can probably think of that you've heard about just involving you don't want to know what's inside of it, just enjoy the results. And when you think about the efforts that go into making some of the spectacular images you'll see online, whether you see them in print, National Geographic, for example, or an individual artist's expression of the things that they're trying to convey. It's a it's a misconception that that's just what was seen and just what was captured with no modification whatsoever. When you look at the quote about sausages, and I'll have a link to some uh, investigation back to who might have actually said this in the first place in the companion post. Make sure you look for that. The reality is that creating things that may be beautiful on the outside have a messy origin. They may contain parts that you find distasteful alone and on them or on their own. And it may actually come down to the fact that uh, what is more important to you, the process or the result? And in life, this can sometimes be translated into the end justifies the means. That's a definitely a challenging environment to get into, an argument to have on a variety of topics. And we're not going to go too deeply into some of that because, uh, or at least not in this episode, maybe we'll do it in another one and get to contentious then. It's going to be contentious enough right now talking about editing of photos. So really, as far as photography is concerned, as far as the images are concerned, what are we talking about? If you drop into any photography group or meet up with more than one photographer in a particular place face-to-face and ask them about uh, the idea of editing images after the fact, whether they're a film purist or digital existing already, you're going to get a lot of different answers depending on the question you ask, and you're going to get a lot of contention. And in the community, uh, how much processing is too much processing or which kinds of processing are acceptable and which kinds aren't. These core questions have existed for as long as photography has existed because the reality is that whatever the camera captures, it is not reality. It is at best a portion of the reality that's happening at the time. It, at worst, is not representative at all because of the things the photographer may have done stylistically or compositionally or procedurally in order to craft the thing that you're seeing after the fact. The advent of this argument in many people's minds has really come along at the cusp of film versus digital, the Photoshop era, if you will, when it became easier for people to create images that diverge radically from what the human eye might have seen at the time the image was captured. 
Does that mean that the photograph is any less valid because it does diverge? In some people's minds, yes, and in some people's minds, no. And that's even before you consider the context of the photo, which may impose some objective requirements about its representation of the scene. Journalistic photography, photojournalism, actually, a better, uh, more correct way of saying it, have, has different requirements than creative photography because quite often, uh, almost exclusively, photojournalism is meant to tell uh, and to inform about a specific event it is important to know what biases might be inherent in the photo, whether they're intentional or not. Because for every photograph, the photographer had to choose what to shoot, what to include in the composition, what uh, he or she saw through the viewfinder, when the shutter was clicked, where was the camera pointing, where was the light, what is exposed, what is not. It may seem obvious that if you are out reporting the news, that there's not going to be any bias. You're, uh, as Ansel Adams was saying in the, uh, that I was discussing in the first episode about how the simply re recording a visual diary of the life in case, in this case, the life of the, the people that were uh, involved in the accident or the accident itself. But every click of the shutter involves artistic and uh, editorial choices by the photographer. If you're a photographer, think back on any number of things, even if it's literally family snapshots. What are you trying to get? What are you trying to avoid? Are you cropping, mentally cropping somebody out of an image? Well, okay. Is that different, you know, when you move the camera slightly so that a tree or a person or whatever is no longer in frame? Is that manipulation of the image? Is that different than manipulating that image later in Photoshop or, and we'll get to more about this later, when you're uh, doing an enlargement of a negative um, by blocking the light that's coming through that part of the negative, cropping the image, removing elements that the photographer feels are irrelevant or distracting from the core theme or core message that's coming out. As you might be able to tell already, since I'm overlapping terms and turning back on myself already, this can be a complicated topic. And it's even more complicated when you consider the fact that the frame of reference most people have, the Photoshop era, they're accusing the digital manipulation tools of ruining photography or of bringing people who don't deserve the title of photographer into the space or allowing them to cheat in some fashion. So really, when you're talking about some of these images, you really need to start talking about the level of manipulation. I'm not, I'm not going to come out and say, oh, hey, here's the line beyond which that's unacceptable or before which it's perfectly fine. There is, in my opinion, an area from which it, uh, a, a result moves from what might be generally called photography into what might generally be called photo art. But there's nothing particularly or uh, on the face of it wrong with either one. It depends on what you're representing it as. And uh, that's going to be a theme through any number of parts of uh, Sausage Factory posts or when we really get down into uh, photography and life in general. So often it's not so much what you say, but why you're saying it or what you see, but how you interpret it. 
When it comes down to photography and we look at things like exposure adjustments or saturation modifications or vibrance modifications or cropping or even when we're talking about removal of elements that the photographer finds unimportant or irrelevant in the final product, it comes down to why are you showing this photo if you are trying to document going back to that car crash, uh, a specific event that's going to go along with news reporting, you might not put a tree into the frame of that photo if the tree is irrelevant, if it's simply landscaping and the car didn't have anything, the wreck didn't have anything to do with that. But you know what? If you try and crop that tree out because the car hit the tree and bounced off of it, the tree was instrumental in injuries or damage, Now you're telling a different story and it becomes a little bit disingenuous to the viewer. The manipulation is not, uh, the issue is not the manipulation of the image itself. It's the manipulation of the story the image tells. So I can already hear the people in the background going, well, yeah, all the digital editing that's going on is ruining photography. We're talking about the fact that it, it, it is easier to do many of the things we're talking about to question, well, ultimately question the veracity of a photo course on the side my question back or my statement back is you never could trust a photo to be 100% true part of it relies on the reputation of the photographer and there are certain forensic things that can happen on an image that is captured to determine whether it's been modified or not but so many things so many ways of Crafting the content of a captured image, latent or not, happen almost automatically in the hands of a skilled, experienced photographer that there's no way to know unless you were there looking over the photographer's shoulder, actually looking through the photographer's eyes, literally, to know what decisions were made at the time, what decisions were made later, and how those decisions affect the narrative that that image is supposed to be crafting. So let's take a reasonably common manipulation that really irks the purists, and that's a sky replacement. When you wind up with an awesome photo of a building, of a landscape, of uh, something that includes a significant portion of sky, but in order to expose the foreground properly, the the things that you want the viewer to see for the most part, Uh, you wind up with a blown out sky or pale sky or the weather wasn't cooperating and so now it's gray and overcast but you manage to get tweak the settings on your camera just right for for the foreground a common technique to fix that is to take a picture that you or somebody made of a sky at a different time a more interesting sky one that gives more visual depth or more visual warmth or whatever it is that the photographer was hoping to capture to go along with the things that were of primary focus and insert that, if you will, into the picture. So you wind up with a combination of two photos with one result that uh, really is a lie, if you want to put it that way. It is not what the photographer saw visually at the time they took the photo. It is what the photographer saw in their mind. And going back to episode one, if you need more about the fact that there can be differences between what photons actually hit the eye and the image or the feeling or the intended result that actually the photographer wants to capture. So 
you look at this, you look at your tools, and when I say Photoshop, by the way, I'm actually using that as a generic tool for image, digital image editing. Uh, I personally use Affinity Photo from a, from Serif. It's a great tool, but um, this is not time to make a pitch for that. So when you look at this, you look at the work that goes into uh, sky replacement and appears the screams, hey, that's a lie. Don't do that. The film people never did that. Well, that's not really true. And then it's also, you know, by extension, a lot of the manipulations we're talking about or that we that might be talked about when it comes to the question of the veracity of the image and how much manipulation is too manipulate too much. If you go back to the history, particularly uh, Ansel Adams again, because he's was also very much into documenting this stuff. He's got a series of books that have some awesome uh, detail in there. Any photographer, whatever style, whether you're film or digital, landscape portrait, whatever, and would do yourself a favor by picking up the camera, the negative and the print, and reading them, learning from them, and internalizing a lot of the lessons that may not specifically come from the chemistry of the developing or the specific characteristics of the paper involved that uh, Ansel Adams documents, but the spirit of what he's talking about. And I'll get to more of that in a moment in terms of the change in technology, the change in approach. Adams was not ignorant of digital photography, and I've got some really interesting stuff on that in a moment. But if you go back to the negative, or you go back to the print, uh, the books from Adams, you're going to find examples back in the print days of sky replacement, of how to accomplish that, how to merge the results of two negatives onto a piece of paper, uh, photosensitive paper so that you can actually wind up with a more interesting sky along with this foreground, whatever, you know, buildings or landscape or whatever it is that the photographer was really seeing at the time. The assumption that digital anything has ruined photography is really coming from a lack of context. It is often, but not always, proposed by people who uh, have not spent time in film photography or who have not spent time studying film photography and unfortunately i think that their photography experiences may be a little diminished by not knowing the history in so many creative endeavors there's the push and pull and in life there's this push and pull between following rules and breaking rules and when uh, feeling too constrained or feeling too free Sometimes feeling too free means that you have the paralysis of not knowing where to go next. Sometimes being too constrained makes you feel like you can't achieve the goals you're trying to look for, you're trying to, to get to. When it all comes together, though, the reality is that the pursuit of that which the photographer saw in their mind's eye has, is really paramount when it comes to photography whether it's chemical photography, whether it's digital photography, whether you're uh, kind of a mix of both and you're, you're taking your uh, physical film negatives and scanning them and then using manipulation software, editing software to create the thing that you wanted to create in the first place, or even taking negatives from film, for example, and creating something new out of the result that the photographer, that whether that's you or somebody else, never saw in the first place, but you're able to then expand on the results. 
the creativity that's unleashed by the ability to achieve certain goals in a more easily understandable or more easily completable fashion is really the the, the benefit, the, uh, the, the in my opinion, the, the game-changing addition of digital to, not in place of, the chemical in the world of photography. Given how much there is to talk about in the world of manipulation or editing or film versus digital or any of that, we're going to have to come back to this at a variety of different times in different episodes. So what I'd like to wrap up with at the moment in terms of the the content and Adams's interpretation of the uh, the incursion of electronics into the world of photography, and the reason why I think this is important is because it does put the lie to the purist argument that it has to be film or it has to be digital because the implication of digital meaning manipulated or digital meaning incomplete, improper, or otherwise diminished results from a quote-unquote photographer. If we go back to the Ansel Adams interview, I've got a link in the companion post in episode one, and I'll put a link in the companion post for this one as well, just as a reminder. The idea of Adams and technology, he was, if anybody was a film purist in the general sense, uh, a master of being able to pull details out of film and bring them to fruition in print, it was he. The interviewer asks him uh, about being held back by technology that was available at the time he was doing his captures, the time he was doing his prints. In general, yes is the answer. And then it goes... The interviewer asks, "Is will that change with new technologies? That being, were there ever photos that he couldn't capture because he saw it in his mind's eye, but the, the capabilities of the equipment didn't match what he needed? Adams replies that he doesn't think you'll ever get that. That is the technology being able to replace the human eye in that sense because the human eye is so expansive in what it can process with the brain along with it, of course. Uh, but in electronics, quoting Adams, the technology we have now, you've got to remember this is in 1983, the, electronic, the technology we have now can do far more than film. As the world's silver resources are, compl- are depleted, these new technologies are particularly important. They're coming already. I continuing to quote Adams, I've seen a Kodak electronic disc that can be seen instantly after exposure on your television screen. The color is better than in a print. Sony has something similar perhaps more sophisticated. The electronic image can be rendered to tape and then seen on a screen. From that, you can make a hard copy. It's a major revolution. You would put the image on a large screen and have exhibits that showed an image as close to the original as possible. The interviewer continues, what else do you see coming in photography? Adams replies, there's no end in sight. Electronic photography will soon be superior to anything we have now. The first advance will be the exploration of existing negatives. I believe the electronic process will enhance them. I could get superior prints from my negatives using electronics. Then the time will come when you will be able to take the entire photograph electronically. With the extremely high resolution and enormous control you can get from electronics, the results will be fantastic. I wish I were young again. Now it's amazing that so many people dismiss electronic photography, digital photography, over film without understanding that even the masters themselves were able, and and depending on when they were alive, of course, were able to see this coming, and they were excited about the opportunity to enhance 
their results, to be able to create, craft, and present even more of what they saw in their mind. If you happen to get into an argument of film versus digital, or if you get into an argument of any sort of old versus new, ask yourself, why are you, if you're taking the position of the older, ask yourself why you seem so exclusive on that. Ask yourself if you're not missing an opportunity to look forward, an opportunity to do what you want to do, but do it better. And ask yourself, really, is the thing that you're fighting against actually better? You can put your pride to the side. The fact that you've got an extended experience, you have extended skills, you may be feeling left out, you may be feeling left behind. Those are natural and normal feelings. But the reality, ultimately, is that for most things, not all, but most, these progressions really are serving the artist and not simply gimmicks designed to sell you more equipment. What are some of the images you've seen recently that you've asked the question, you know, how much manipulation was it or how did you manipulate it? And think to yourself whether you considered that to be a positive, a negative or a neutral thing. Look back at your own images. Have you over, over time, have you progressed from no manipulation to a lot of manipulation or vice versa? You start off by making everything HDR or everything mixed color and everything doing this. And then you finally, as you start finding your voice, as you start finding your eye, you start dialing back on some of the changes and focusing in on other things. After all, you are the sausage factory in this case. And your prints are sausage. And I say that in the best possible way. Looking forward to tasting your wares. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to remind anybody who's listened to this point that I am soliciting sponsors or other support, whether it's directly for the podcast itself or take a look at bmb.photos. See if there are any prints out there that you might want to have hanging on your walls, your office walls, or feel free to Share them with other people who you think might be interested. Instagram, we're there at bmb.photos, all spelled out. Facebook, BMB Photos. Twitter, BMB Photos. I want to hear from you. Don't forget to check out the companion posts that go along with each episode. That's where I put a few links, a few anecdotes, or other interesting tidbits that I don't necessarily talk about, but it all relates. You can find that at bmb.photos slash vocal length or at VocalLength.com. If you're listening to this on direct download, you can also find Vocal Length on the iTunes podcast list. Thanks for listening to Vocal Length. Find out more at V as in Victor, VocalLength.com, or at BMB.photos slash Vocal Length. Talk to you soon.